Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. going to be in Luke chapter 21, starting with verse 5. And the last time the message was titled, Importance from God's Perspective. Well, that's a pretty interesting topic because, you know, we, we're bombarded with images, we're bombarded with philosophies, every day we're alive, technology, we get, we get advertisements, there's so many things our brains are hit with on a regular basis. And sometimes we have to, well, actually we should do it often, is come back to what does the Bible say? You know, what is right and wrong? What does character look like? What did Jesus see when he looked out at the people and, you know, kind of showed us through his, uh, you know, his, the biography of Jesus in the Gospels, what is greatness? What is leadership? What is smallness? You know, what does God see? So it's a really great message. If you didn't get it, just check it for free off the website and today's message is titled a balanced view because the next several Sundays we're going to be talking about the second coming of Christ now I put a balanced view because some of these things are used for uh, fear on some of these false teachers and leaders in their ministries to get their followers frightened so that they kind of can derive more power from the fear, which Jesus tells us right in the first opening verses. He says, do not be terrified. So Jesus said one thing, but we see some of these leaders saying another thing. But the truth is that, you know, Jesus spoke about his return, right? He wanted to comfort us. You know, disciples knew he was going to get crucified. He said he was going to be resurrected, but then he ascends into heaven 40 days later. Well, what do we do now? You know what I'm saying? Uh, so he answers a lot of questions for the disciples, but he also answers questions that we might have. Right? Even in the communion observance, Jesus also spoke about eating the fruit of the vine in the kingdom, the coming kingdom. So a lot of references to the second coming, but we want to make sure that there's a balanced, godly, God's word-centered view in its totality. Uh, so there's a few things going on. One is a lot of churches don't teach the Bible anymore. Because it takes a lot of study. There's a lot of work that goes into it. Uh, so what we find is in American culture, sometimes church, they move towards making people feel good over teaching them the truth. Right? Sometimes the truth doesn't always feel good. So the fact that, that we see that in the church, in some churches in Europe and the United States and other places, uh, it gives rise to false teachers taking the second coming and distorting it. And this is where you have these strange people that rise up setting dates for Jesus' return. Okay, checking my watch. All those people that did that for the last 2,000 years, he hasn't returned. So they were all wrong. <laughs> the Bible says not to date set. We need to do our part as believers and you know, be in the faith and let God do his part and decide when his return is going to be. So what does it look like? Uh, what are the circumstances that are surrounding it? And I can tell you this too. You can study a little bit of uh, psychology and find that there's a term called delusions of grandeur. If you really look it up, Jesus is the number one person that people, when they have this affliction, say that they are. 
I'll leave you with a quick story, and then I'll move on to uh, getting into the sermon. So years ago when I was a police officer, I was in the patrol division for almost my entire career. I ran into quite a few people who thought that they were Jesus Christ. And that's a little concerning. I remember pulling a guy over, trying to get him to stop because he was playing chicken with oncoming traffic with his car. So I finally get him to stop and I go up to the car and he's got this wild look on his face and he has his hands up and he goes, the son of man obeys no traffic laws. (laughs) Like... Headquarters, could you send me another unit out here? <laughs> so it's, it's a real thing. And I think a lot of the mystery and the vacuum of the solid teachings not being out there, even somebody who's suffering with something like that uh, can fall into the idea because they don't really know the truth. But the good thing for me is that at least I was reading the Bible as a, a newer believer and I, I knew, lucky for me, that that when Jesus returns, he'll either be in the clouds, in the air, or on a white horse, but he won't be coming back in a 1994 beat-up Toyota Corolla. So um, I, I, I wasn't even deceived for a moment. But we're going to look at this in five parts. And jumping in, <laughs> verse 5. It says, then, as some spoke of the temple. Remember, as we go, if you're new to the church, we, we go this, through this continuously. right? It's the life of Jesus. Every day something new is happening. So we're gonna, I'm going to reference a little bit what just happened, and then we're going to talk about what we're talking about today. So as some spoke of the temple, which doesn't exist anymore on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he said, these things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So one out of five parts is a disturbing prophecy. Again, to us, it's history. To the people who are living and they saw this magnificent structure, this prophecy that Jesus made was disturbing. As Jesus gets closer to the city in Luke 19, he weeps over the city. Uh, Being God the Son, he knows the future. He knows the A.D. 66 through A.D. 70 war of the Romans and Jews. He knows of the leveling of the city and the carnage and the, the temple that gets destroyed. So he's weeping as he's heading closer to the city in his triumphal entry. Um, Here, he specifically seems to be referencing uh, something specific in it, which is the temple structure. That, again, great ornate building with all these courts. And if you ever do a little study on it, it was a fantastic site where God used the priests and the Levites to help people through their sacrifices and offerings and many other things get closer to God. So... Um, I don't want to be repetitive, but what was important was the fact that the religious system, and you can find this from Jewish sources at the time, Roman historians, etc., Christian sources, that the, the system at the time, the religious system, had become very corrupt. And it had become a rote, ritualistic, sensual, opulent institution instead of getting people closer to God. And sometimes God... When that happens, he has to back off and say, this doesn't represent me, and whatever happens, happens. Sort of, in a sense, removing his protective hand. We've seen this all throughout the Old Testament. Interestingly enough, in Mark's Gospel, even the followers of Jesus, you could, you know, in my mind, um, I have a really vivid imagination. When you read that portion of Scripture, it's almost like they were saying, look at that, and, and look at that, and, you know, look what... So they're, they're even caught up in the opulence and the splendor um, but that was taking away from 
getting people closer to God. And what do we teach in this church? What does the Bible teach? Relationship with God. Closeness over religion. So, Matthew 6, Jesus says, put your, your treasures, your heart, into the heavenly treasures, not earthly treasures. Uh, verse 6, and I'll just cover it briefly. The gold, the splendor, not one stone left upon another. Again, when Jesus said this, Jesus said a lot of things that people were probably like, what is he talking about? This, there's no way they could even move this thing. This is the one stone I talked about. They quarried it in that area and used hydraulics at the time. The ancients were very smart. One stone was a 40 foot by 12 by 12. Imagine how many thousands of pounds that one stone was. So they probably looked at Jesus saying, that's never going to happen, right? But in AD 70, the Romans set fire to the temple. Uh, they melted the hammered gold that was adorning the temple, and it would fall in between the stones. So the soldiers ended up looting, trying to get gold, right? And they would move these stones, and everybody would get, you know, they would steal the gold from the temple and take it with them. We also know that the soldiers, I went into archaeology, it's pretty fascinating stuff. They also use leverage to topple the large stones into the surrounding valleys. Remember, it was a temple mount. There was an elevation there. So again, if you go home and do a study, you say, wow, Pastor Joe, look up images and see. I actually saw an image of in the Kidron Valley that still exists today, these massive stones. Like you're looking at history when you look at these pictures or if you're there and you touch these stones, you're touching history. Oh, the Bible's not real. Oh, this, that. You're, you're wrong. Because archaeology proves the Scripture. All these inscriptions in, in, uh, in Latin and Hebrew, they're still there. Wild stuff. So Jesus is saying this is going to happen. From our perspective, it already happened. From Jesus' perspective, it didn't happen yet. Then they, the Romans plowed the ground over. So people today who try to say we want to rebuild the temple, they're not really sure where it should stand based on the original temple structure. Now, these people aren't Christians, but it's, it's interesting www.templeinstitute.org. They are an organization that have duplicated a lot of the mosaic uh, commands, the lavers, the, you know, the bowls, the, you know, all the different, uh, the candelabras, right, that were used. So today there's a place where it's under guard where they've duplicated. They're talking about the red heifer and there's a whole thing surrounding that. And they are saying, if you read there, and again, they're not Christians, right? But they're saying the temple will be rebuilt in our lifetime. I agree with them. <laughs> and if you look at Revelation 11, Revelation 11 tells us these very things. So when you start to see the construction or, of course, the political maneuverings to try to get the Dome of the Rock to be kind of cordoned off and the temple sort of to be maybe on the other side of a, a fence or a gate, these things are happening as we speak. So the Bible has always been right. Some prophecies are still have to happen. Some have already happened. But what's important here? What's important is, again, for Jesus to show his followers that he's going to be crucified. He's going to be resurrected. He's going to 40 days later ascend into heaven. And he has entrusted worthy men and women who are serious about their faith to go out and spread the good news of salvation. So he wants to make it clear to them that it's not the splendor that you see. Because we see it in religion today, right? Christian, uh, Jewish. What's this thing, this obsession with gold? What's this obsession with, you know, certain type of accoutrements that are very expensive and 
You know, we, we, you know what it is? We're, we're sentient beings. We're, we're tangible beings. We like to touch and we like to see. But that's not how God operates. So that splendor, it was getting lost on the people. And what Jesus was saying is don't fall into that trap that they're falling into. They don't even represent me at all at this point. Don't you do the same thing. Basically, he's telling them that within 40 years, all the, the refurbishment and the decadence and the opulence, the gold, the marble, the wealth, the collection boxes is all going to be gone. Interesting fact, and then we'll move on to the next part, is that, you know, again, I said this before, it's worth repeating that when God wanted the temple built, David wanted to do it, King David, and David fought righteous wars. But God told him, you, your hands are, you know, you're a man of bloodshed. Let your son do it. Okay? I have, I have some principles here with building my house. Interestingly enough, Herod the Great murdered, I think, two of his sons. He was paranoid. He was a wicked leader. But I guess to assuage his conscience, he um, dedicated decades and probably what today would be tens of millions of dollars to adding gold and expansions and of the temple. God didn't ask him to do that. Herod actually defiled his house. If we look at Solomon and David, then we say, well, Herod was a wicked man. He wasn't even good like David. So, again, God let it fall. Herod does this expansion project and refurbishment for decades. About six years prior to the temple falling, it's finally complete. Within six, seven years, it's all gone. All gone. So it's a little ironic there when we look at it. So, you know, sometimes we have to ask ourselves, what are in our hearts? Okay, this is on a much smaller scale. What is in our hearts that we hold on to that isn't going to stand the test of time, right? Some of the things that we, even as Christians, that we kind of obsess over or focus on, you know, we need to be focusing on the things of God, those heavenly treasures that that last for eternity. Verse 7, so they... Jesus' followers asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? So two out of five is disciples' questions. This has actually been labeled the Olivet Discourse because it takes place on the Mount of Olives. And in the 24th chapter of Matthew, Matthew shares more details. He's a lot more descriptive. He adds more information than Luke does. From his vantage point, um, you know, Luke was more just, just the facts. This is a historical document. Matthew adds a little bit more nuances to it. Same thing happens, same discussions. But Matthew, is his observance is that the questions were asked to Jesus in addition to the ones I, t- I just read is, you know, teacher, what also would be the sign of your coming and at the end of the age? Now, the followers might have thought, maybe they were a little confused, because I would be, listen, we've had 2,000 years of study in the Bible, so we can go, oh yeah, they should have known. Well, you know, we, we have Paul's records, and Peter, and John, and so yeah, it's very clear to us. But back then, this was, this was all new to them. So they knew that Jesus was going to be crucified. They knew he was going to be resurrected. Then they also know, Jesus is telling them, the temple's going to be destroyed. Maybe they thought, well, when is this going to happen? And I know the resurrection's coming soon. Um, well, when's the end of the age? And when are you going to come in glory? Maybe they thought, which I might have thought, okay, so the Romans are going to destroy the temple, and then Jesus is going to come out with the cape as the superhero, and he's going to vanquish Rome, and it'll happen in our lifetime. 
It's not the way it works. <laughs> We're 2,000 years in this kind of gap period called the church age or the time of the Gentiles. Then the focus at some point in the future goes back to a focus on Israel and the Jewish people. And we're going to get to that. So questions, legitimate questions, and um, actually all three Gospels uh, you know, speak about this in, to some degree. But there's, there's multiple layers to this. What we see is Jesus expresses, and this is where we get into prophecy near and far. right? Prophecy is when God says, I'm going to do this in 10 years, I'm going to do this in 100, I'm going to do this in 1,000. We're actually looking at um, geopolitical alignments in our world that are almost 3,000 years old to incredible detail with China and uh, Iran and, um, you know, China, Iran and Russia, and they're all together and, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? That's never happened before the way things are happening. I'm going to get into that a little bit too. But Ezekiel 38 and 39 gives us great detail about what we're seeing today. So sometimes God's prophecies are dormant. They're just, they're just, they're there. But then there's a certain time period where they come to life. But only God can tell the future. So false teachers have come and predicted things that haven't happened. You have to immediately not follow them. Because God gets it right 100% of the time. So that prophecy is a big indicator. Um, eschatology, sort of a subset of prophecy, which is really the study of end, t- end times or end things, is you know things to the disciples. Eschatology, Jesus is sharing with them. In other words, Jesus is saying this is going to happen in a, in a distant future. You're not physically going to be here when these things happen. So, a lot of information here. <laughs> a lot of information. So why does Jesus do this? Well, I believe that well, I know that he, as God the Son, is outside of time, but he's giving an admonition to all of his followers diachronistically. And what do I mean by that? Speak English, Pastor Joe. What that means is when Jesus, you know, he shares this, these future occurrences, Jesus is not only talking to the disciples, but he's talking to anyone who would ever be a believer until the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. So Jesus is speaking, he's been speaking to us for over 2,000 years to them specifically, things that pertain to them, but also things that pertain to us. He's speaking about things that happen uh, in their lifetime, also in 2023, but also beyond, right? So what Jesus is doing, he's giving all his believers a heads up, and there's some points that he makes that all of us need to follow, and I'm going to emphasize those when I get to it. And again, this is a Uh, a balanced view that we live our lives right we live our lives we're christians hey oh well i just met somebody a stranger and it was a god-ordained thing and i I started to talk to them and i kind of ministered to them and wow that was great lord that that was a you know a god appointed kind of a thing that just took place like we don't stand around and this is what unfortunately the cultists do and the cult leaders teach their followers with all their false date setting is they, get, they quit their jobs, they sell everything, and they, the night before they just stand around looking at the sky and how many people, maybe millions of people, has this happened to and these poor people that ruin their lives because they followed the wrong teachers. So a balanced view is I enjoy my life, right? I go out every day. I do, it's a new adventure for Pastor Joe, right? Um, and, but at the same time, in the back of my mind, I know when I see especially things on the news and stuff happening, I'm thinking, wow, it's, it's, getting, it's getting closer. And we're going to talk about that. So continuing on, 
verse 8. Here's where it gets interesting. Verse 8. And Jesus said to them, Take heed that you, first of all, my followers, that you do not be deceived. That's actually an admonition to us as believers. Don't be deceived. Well, how do I not be deceived, Jesus? Jesus said in John 14, If you love me, follow my word. That's going to help you. (laughs) For many will come, Jesus said, in my name, saying, I am he, and the time has drawn near. That's interesting. Just like the gentleman that I ran into years ago, he thought he was Jesus. That was an easy one to discount. The ones that are more scary or, or difficult are the charismatic leaders who say, I'm the Messiah. People don't, their, they don't know their Bibles well enough and they start to follow this guy. So they're either going to say, I am he, meaning I'm Jesus, or, and, they're both going to happen, the time has drawn near. Oh, the end of the world is going to take place in 2011. That actually happened. We'll talk about that. Um, therefore, do not go after them. Right? The second admonition, don't go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, this is a third one, do not be terrified. And we're going to talk about why we shouldn't be terrified when we watch the evening news and we see things getting worse. Jesus said, Jesus, wow, all these things happening, we're not supposed to be terrified? He says, but these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Stuff's going to ramp up little by little. Then he, Jesus, said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. So three out of five is the birth pangs. I'm going to explain that in a minute. So Jesus is speaking to his disciples, but by extension, because we're seeing this ramping up, he's also speaking to us in 2023 and people that if he tarries or born after us, um, what do we need to know? A, reject the false messiahs. Now this, I've been following, um, let me scratch that bad word. I've been studying false messiahs <laughs> for, for a very long, you have, words are very important, right? Uh, and just being a, a student of history, in A.D. 66, this is what caused this turmoil to start. The Zealots and the Sakari, they had a messianic sort of uh, mindset. And they just kept, you know, and Rome was, was wrong too. I'm not saying anybody was a good guy here. But they deceived the people into thinking, we're going to win. Rome's not going to get in. And we know from history that they were wrong. But they looked at these people like sort of messiah figures. And Jesus had already been resurrected and ascended into heaven. They, they followed the wrong Messiah, right? 132 AD, a lot of people don't know. This guy is buried in the annals of history. His name is Bar Kokhba. Okay, he also led this rebellion. This is in the second century. It ended disastrously for his followers. Now, let's just, I, I could do this all day. Let's just fast forward to the 1800s, saw a rise in false teachers whether it's the uh, William Miller and the Millerites, right? And, and this is what people do. He's like, oh, I have a map. They always do this. It, it's really pride. It's a man's pride, woman's pride. I have this mathematical equation that says, I think he said Jesus was going to return in 1846. Didn't happen. Um, and uh, people did this with Harold Camping. How many people remember Harold Camping, Right? I had friends who were Christians, and I'm like, why are you following this guy? Pastor Joe, you don't understand. He does this mathematical equation. I'm like, do you know how many people said that? 
the world's not going to end in 2011. We're still here. So I was right. <laughs> and you know why I'm right? Because I just follow what the Word says. No one's going to know. Charles Taze Russell, Joseph Smith, the 1800s. So camping was another one in our lifetime. Another one was, uh, I was a relatively newer Christian, David Koresh. And I actually watched some of his videos. He was young, he was charismatic, charismatic, and sadly his followers went to their death following him. This is the danger of letting somebody interpret the scripture for you, right? I'm here to, you, have, you all have Bibles. I say something wrong, tell me at the end of service. I'll make a note that I said something wrong. I will correct myself next Sunday. I've done that before. Okay, so there's various degrees of false messiahs and danger. Camping, you know, I don't think he ruined a lot of people's lives, but I think they were, they were very disappointed. So verse 8, he says, do not go after them. Pay attention to the events. Don't be obsessed and run far from the date setters. Right? We, we still have people today that are predicting Jesus is going to return this year, this date. I just don't listen to any of them because they've all been wrong. B, wars and commotions, wars and rumors of war, right? In the other Gospels, um, commotions can be translated in the Greek instability, disorder. We're starting to see that in a lot of, in American culture, aren't we? The 20th century, I love history, saw a, a, a great increase in instability in coups, in, in uh, you know, communist takeovers. And the people always suffered. They suffered under the Castro brothers. They suffered under Mao. They suffered under Stalin. Um, it's happening in uh, countries in South America. Just this instability, right? We're seeing it everywhere. And usually it's to remake society into a communist haven, which no one's been able to do that yet because it eliminates God from the equation. So there's a lot in here. Um, I'll say this as well, nations against nations. Oh yeah, Pastor Joe, we've seen that since the beginning of time. Let me just say this. World War I and World War II were horrific, but the atomic bomb just was developed. Right? Hiroshima, Nagasaki. Uh, Russians took some of the German scientists, we took some of the others, and we had this race for the nukes. What happened in World War I and World War II was horrific. However, the capability now exists for totally mutually assured destruction of every... You see how many silos, how many subs have the ICBMs. The firepower of these nukes is so great that it could, it could torch the earth many times over. Those capabilities didn't exist World War I, World War II. It's funny, uh, when I was young, I watched the movie The Terminator. They knew about Skynet and uh, artificial intelligence. And today... Some of these silos and some of these, these installations are programmed with artificial intelligence. That's scary. So the guy at the desk with the button, he passes out. The computer decides when the, the missiles go to the other side. We're really, I mean, this, this, I mean, I'm not in fear. I don't live in fear. I'm not going to live in fear. But when you look at the, the West versus the East now with the, um, you know, Russia, China, Iran, and now the cat's out of the bag. Everybody has access to nukes. I believe more countries have nukes than we realize. So, again, it's, it's ramping up, right? But don't be afraid. Let's look at this. Why? C, earthquakes and famines, tectonic activity, the plates shifting in the, in the uh, Earth's crust uh, kind of region, um, starvation across the globe made worse with wars and natural disasters. 
but we've always had these, Pastor Joe. Let me, let me stop for a second. In Matthew 24, 8, Jesus says these are the beginning of sorrows. Pastor Joe, I've read this whole Bible. I don't, people say they talk about the birth pangs. Where is it? The word sorrows is translated into the English from the Greek. But literally, the Greek word means, the beginning of sorrows means pangs or throes, especially as in childbirth. And if you're familiar with that, uh, basically, you know, before the baby's born, the mother, um, you know, she starts to dilate and the, uh, the contractions happen. They're painful. Then there's a break. Some of the, some of the ladies are like, I remember, <laughs> you know. Uh, then there's a, a pause and then there's contractions again and it becomes more intense. And then it just happens closer and closer till the baby's born. So when Jesus speaks about these things as birth pangs, we're starting to see it. I mean, read the news. Look at the stuff that's happening. I mean, even, it's a little bit of a controversy in Maui. Uh, there were some people that were asleep at the wheel, but, you know, the earthquakes, the tsunamis, I mean, we're seeing natural disasters, we're seeing conflicts, you know, Russia, Ukraine, possibly China, Taiwan, you know, what do we do? We're seeing derailments of, of trains carrying, uh, you know, toxic chemicals and vaporizing like whole towns where they have to move. Um, I mean, we're seeing stuff. Our leaders don't have a clue what to do. We're spending money like crazy. We're printing it. We're borrowing it from people. We're throwing money at every problem, and it's not solving anything. This is the world we live in, right? And if you watch the news too long, you'll probably get depressed. I don't know how the journalists do it without being depressed, but um, you're starting to see these pangs, these, these, you know, these birth pangs starting to happen. Um, you look at, uh, let's see, we'll go, let's go to... Verse 11, pestilences. You translate pestilence, right, from the Greek. It can mean disease, plagues, and or pests. I just, I'm, I'm studying this, and I just click on the news and saying, all right, let's see what happens here. Uh, New York City has a, a horrible rodent problem. You're not going to get rid of the rodents. <laughs> all you can do is keep them at bay. The scientists say that if there's a nuclear war, uh, and everything's destroyed, the rats will live, and they'll keep multiplying. They're incredible how they, they just, you can't kill them, you know what I'm saying? So the bubonic plague, right? Rats carried, I believe it was, was uh, fleas that carried the, uh, the bacteria inside of them. It got people sick. I'll have to do a little research. Uh, some of my nurses give me a, an up or a down here. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, pestilences, it could be microscopic, it could be rodent problem, uh, gain-of-function research. It's at, you know, this is, this is out there now, gain-of-function research. Uh, I hate to say it, if we don't do it directly, we farm it out. Russia does it, China does it, a lot of countries do it. And what they say is, well, we have to do this because we have to protect our people, and these are our bioweapons. Okay. Gain-of-function research is when you start to tweak viruses and, um, you know, certain types of things, uh, pathogens, where you make the transmissibility higher, you make them more potent. So if you ever had to use it against your enemy, you could wipe out their army and you would survive. We're all, if we're all lobbing viruses at each other and hiding them and stuff, we're all going to die, you know what I'm saying? We're all going to die. Um, but I, I don't mean to be flippant, but I'm not going to worry about it, right? Uh, but it, it happens, and it's, it's listen, you, you, they wear all this equipment. When I was uh, in law enforcement, we had to wear our PPE in certain 
uh, scenarios, I don't care what you put on you and what you spray yourself with in the interim, those viruses, like the rats, all it takes is a few of them to, to hang on and not be killed, and you go and you think, oh, I'm fine, and now you start to spread it to other people. So I think it should be outlawed in the world, but that's not going to happen. So, pestilences. Uh, E, fearful sights, frightening things, terrific portents. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to give you the good news after this last part, right? I do a lot of research. Uh, Unidentified aerial phenomenon. We used to call them UFOs, but we changed the name for some reason. This isn't weirdo people hanging in their basement conspiracy stuff. You look at these congressional hearings, they can be very boring, they can be very exciting too. These are fighter pilots, right? Air Force from the United States. These men and women hold rank. They're in billion dollar uh, you know, fighter jets that the taxpayers pay for. And they're seeing these weird sights close to their jets. They can't outmaneuver them. They seem to defy gravity and they can move on right angles. So congressional hearings, they took, again, these aren't conspiracy people. These are legit Uh, you know, people that we would look up to. They've taken videos and they've played them at these congressional hearings. The government tried to hide it for a while. I personally think, I think it's demonic. If you ask Mike, I could be wrong. I think it's demonic. I think we're starting to see things that um, way back in Genesis when things were getting out of control, we're starting to see really the degradation of the creation due to sin. But, um, you know, if you actually check out my Ezekiel, I think, 1 and 2 study, I talked about Ezekiel sees the angelic realm and how they move. They seem to defy the laws of physics. And I made a case for, for UAPs. Um, again, I could be wrong, but how do you explain these things? And our people, our government people are saying, I don't think we could take them out. I don't think we have the technology to stop them. So what does Jesus say? They will come. They will increase. They are the beginning of sorrows, but what else did he say? Don't be terrified. John sixteen thirty three. Jesus, it's, it's, a, it's a balanced view. He says, hey, this is what happens with, with uh, the human race of bringing so much sin into this world. It's just starting to decay. It's starting to degrade. In John sixteen thirty three, Jesus says something very interesting. He says, these things I have spoken to you that in me, you may have peace. But Jesus, everyone's running around with their hair on fire. This is the type of peace that's a spiritual peace. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. And as believers, it's a learning curve to try to adapt to that peace. But we find it in Christ. It continues. He says, in the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. When he said that, And even when we read it now, he has overcome the world. The work that he did on the cross, but we don't see the results of it yet. But we will. Interesting. Um, When we look in Revelation and the, the tribulation period, we start to see a lot of these things happen. And the truth is, if you're in Christ, stuff shouldn't worry you. You want to see the coming of the Lord. You want him to vanquish all the corrupt politicians in every country that are ruining everything. You want to see the Lord return in glory. We, we don't fear it. It's coming back for us, right? You want to see your loved ones get saved and avoid this stuff. We're going to talk about this when we hit First Thessalonians um, after Malachi. But 
There's birth pangs. Here's the good news. Well, what happens at the end of birth pangs? Baby's born. <laughs> so if Jesus is talking about these events as birth pangs, painful, difficult, I wish it would end already, what does maybe the birth of the baby represent? Him renewing everything. Everything's made new. This is in the Old Testament. This is in the New Testament. It's in Isaiah. It's all over the place. You just got to find it. It's right there. That's what we hold on to, that hope. Just think about, uh, I don't know, the new heavens and the new earth. I think a lot of people are going to be out of a job. I don't think we're going to need police officers anymore. I don't think we're going to need military people anymore. I'm wondering if we're going to need journalists because every day, hey, it's ABC News. Nobody died today. There's no wars. Nobody got arrested. The cops are just hanging out because nobody's doing anything wrong. We're going to cut our newscast short right now, right? Uh, NBC News comes on. I don't know what to tell you. Nobody's getting sick. Nobody's died in, uh, I don't know, since the Jesus came back, you know what I'm saying? Nothing to report. I think I'm going to find another profession. So <laughs> there's just going to be some professions where, because what do you turn on the news? It's all negative. How much positive things do you see when you turn on TV? So a lot of people are going to be out of a job, including police, and, and, and they're good people, uh, and, uh, and military, because there's going to be nothing for them to do in that role. The Lord stops all the wars. Uh, so that's the good news, and that's the exciting part to me. 12, verse 12. Last few verses. I, I have a vivid imagination. But before all these things... They will lay hands on you, their hands on you, and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You'll be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. But it will, be, it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. Four out of five is back to near. So Jesus is sharing about the temple. He's projecting into the future to our time period and beyond. Now he's back to near prophecy. And again, this has happened. Fox's Book of Martyrs. If you, ever, if you never got that incredible book, Chronicles the, from the first martyrs all the way to, they keep updating it. Because today, Christians are killed in countries just because they're Christians. We still have freedoms. Praise God for that. But we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters in Asia and Africa and you know, now Europe um, to see, I mean, they're being persecuted. I don't think anyone's been murdered for it. But um, you know, we're starting to see the world changing. It's becoming a post-God, post-Christian. And surprise, it's getting worse <laughs> the further it happens. Our leaders just can't seem to get that through their heads. So Fox's Book of Martyrs is great, but... You know, verse 13, he says, well, we, we see that when Jesus ascends into heaven, uh, Pastor Vinny's been teaching in the book of Acts, and it's chronicling sort of the establishment of the church, right, as sort of an organization, but the church is really the people. If we all leave this building, technically, this isn't the church. We're the church. So you start to see in the book of Acts, uh, you know, Stephen being martyred, a lot, Apostle Paul is martyred. Uh, Apostle Peter, they, a lot of them lost their lives. 
And we see that verse 13, this is going to be an occasion for testimony. The Apostle Paul meets with King Agrippa. And we may not feel this way all the time, but God loves the powerful people of the world. He wants them to be saved too. They're making a lot of people's lives miserable, but God loves the powerful people as much as he loves us. He's fair God. He's equal. So Paul goes before the king, King Agrippa, and Agrippa says to Paul, you know, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. He probably did a little calculations and say, how does this work out, me being the king, and now I'm a Christian? Sadly, he waited out, and at that moment, he decided he wasn't going to, but he was listening to the Apostle Paul, and he's like, wow, he must have laid a heavy witness on King Agrippa. Right? The Middle Ages, kings, sadly, and some popes, drunk on power. You can read this in Fox's Book of Martyrs. Martyred people who didn't go along with what they said they wanted to worship biblically and um, they lost their lives. So there's a lot in here. And then in Mark's gospel, he says that, that the gospel must first be preached to all nations. So there's precursors, right? There's the lead up, there's the earthquakes, there's all the things. We, and if you study tectonic activity, which gives rise to earthquakes and volcanic activity on the Richter scale, the numbers are increasing as far as on the scale right the force the power of these these shifting in the plates and depending if it happens on the ocean floor uh can cause you know these terrible uh you know ocean currents that you know wash up on the land and engulf people so uh, it's you know you look at the geologists you look at the science of it and it's not getting better it's getting worse I'm just going to stop here for a minute because on any given Sunday I do have people that come in that are seeking and they say but but where is God but, but, but where's God? Well, we have to understand that people do this. You know, let's, let's blame God now. So God gives us a perfect earth. Everything's perfect. There's no crime. There's no war. There's nothing bad going on. As human beings, we bring sin into the world. We mess it up. And then we say, we say to God, clean up in aisle six. You, 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 come, you fix this. God's like, but I gave this to you. You know, what we see, should there be a hunger on the planet? You know how many millions and millions of acres of fertile ground there are in the world that you could feed the world ten times over? Do a little research on it. Why is there hunger in the world? Because of sinful men and women at the top, right? Why are there wars? Why are there... So for people do this. They, they blame God. God could very easily say, what, what is your... I'm, this, I've given this to you. This is my present to the human race. You're, you're ruining it. And then you want me to keep fixing it. What God is showing us is that He's going to renew everything. So even though we mess up and He's always fixing our problems, um, He is going to renew everything. It's just not right now. But you've got to be in Christ, right? You've got to lay hold of His plan. You know, and, and this Frank Turek is a, is a theologian and he does a lot of debate and stuff. And he, he says that there are some people that when they die, they don't want to be with God. They don't. They want nothing to do with God. I've seen awesome death, deathbed conversions. I've, I've had the many occasions to talk to people who were literally, and it's the craziest thing, it's like a divine appointment where I'm done talking to them. It's not me, it's him. And within a few hours, they're gone. I didn't know that. But the loved ones brought me in just as the person was saying, I want to talk to somebody. And I believe even if there's not a man or a woman to talk to them, God will do it directly. It's called deathbed conversions. Your last moments of life, you want to turn to him. But you know what's more tragic? The person 
in the last moments who knows they're going to die and they're still, they want nothing to do with God. God's going to force them into his kingdom? He's not. He's not. God gave us choice as human beings and unfortunately sometimes we use those choices to destroy ourselves. I did that a lot before I became a Christian. So verse 14, Jesus basically says, you know, when you get into these situations and and on a smaller scale, maybe um, your peer group, oh, you you became one of those Christians? Oh, well, what does that mean? You guys, you're Bible thumper now? And you're all of a sudden, you're like, wow, I thought this person was my friend. Stop. And in your mind say, Lord, just give me the words. Maybe this person's hurting. Maybe they had a bad experience with religion. Help me to explain it in a way where they take an interest now. I've been there. I've been attacked. But I've learned to be mature and say, there's something driving that person. And I try to find out what it is. And I take the assaults, right? Don't get me wrong. If it was physical, I would defend myself. <laughs> but, you know, you know what I mean. And it's, it's just, I just try to listen to people. I try to be a good listener. Try to see where they're at and... Um, you know, I try, to, I try to accommodate them. I won't give up on people. So in this situation, it's powerful people. And, he's, and Mark 13 says, the Holy Spirit will give you the words. And if you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you see Christians who were in courts of powerful people giving an incredible witness. Like, they're not, they know they're going to die. They're not scared. And some of those people in those courts, uh, Pastor Wombrand, I know I'm sharing a lot of stuff, but you have to know that this stuff is out there. Romanian, he, he suffered through the, the Nazis, then the communists came, he suffered through the, the communists, they jailed him for 14 years, they beat the heck out of him. Oh, it's just a book you read, Pastor Joe. No, I actually saw the congressional hearings in black and white when he took off his shirt and he turned around and his back was whipped, scars all over, and everybody was silent. They beat the bottom of his feet so bad that he couldn't walk. He would witness to his persecutors in this communist prison in Romania. And some of them came to Christ. One man couldn't hit him anymore. He started crying and he said, how do I get saved? You know, it's, it's a powerful thing. So in America, we're fortunate. We're really fortunate. But as we speak, our brothers and sisters are passing into eternity. But you know what uh, Hebrews, I believe it's 11, the Heroes of Faith chapter, says that the person who, who loses their life is not a failure. They are still a hero of faith. Right? God may have used that as an occasion to win these ungodly people to Christ and save them as well. It's a hard thing to comprehend. We think they're, they're just bad. You know, who cares? God wants every soul to be saved. Last few verses, verse 16. It's powerful powerful stuff here. Uh, Verse 16, last few verses. It says, you will be, and this is true, it's happened, you'll be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends. They will put some of you to death. This happened in the first century to some of the followers. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head shall be lost but by your patience possess your souls. You know, there were many in the Roman government that actually um, secretly were helping the Apostle Paul. He refers to people in high positions who, soldiers, right, who, they were, they were brutalizers, and they, they got saved and they changed. Um, incredible testimonies of people that you would not think would become Christians, and they did. 
And they did. Powerful stuff. Um, amen is right. But I call this five out of five is the Judas factor. You know, man, men and women have the ability to do so much good and to do so much evil. When he talks about relatives and loved ones, the, the Nazis had perfected the Hitler youth to where they indoctrinated the children. Seems like everybody's trying to do that these days. They indoctrinated the children to go back home and listen to what their parents were saying and report it to the authorities. Little kids, they didn't know any better. They sold their parents out. When the communists came in, they actually took the Nazis, you know, oh, we're the allies, we're so altruistic. Don't kid yourself. Operation Paperclip, Clip, uh, Werner von Braun, we took him and we got our rocket program. We took the Nazis who were in, in, in high positions. Uh, these are real things, right? There's actually a video of, of whatever. I'm not judging anybody. I'm just saying this is what the world does, of JFK touring the facility with Werner von Braun, who was a Nazi. You can look it up. It's legit. Um, Russians did the same thing. We were, now we were in a race. Now we weren't together fighting the Nazis, but now we were the Cold War fighting each other. So it was a race to see which side could build these silos and you know, keep the other one at bay. And they perfected the art of, of uh, you know, what the SS did and, and you know, the communists did the same. Thank God we have freedoms in America, but they perfected the same thing that the Hitler Youth did in the communist countries to keep the people under control. You wonder why I'm totally sold out for God? Because there's nothing in this world. Call me crazy. Call me whatever you want. I don't care. There's nothing in this world. At the end of the day, eternity is a long time. Verse 17, it says, you'll be hated by my name's sake. Right? We're starting to see that uh, in some of these clashes, these culture clashes in our country. It drives some people crazy. There's an event in Wisconsin where it was a drag event. I don't know. I used to think this was wrong, but I guess people are trying to tell me that it's not, but I still believe it's wrong. Men wear makeup and scantily clad and dance with little children. I think there's something wrong with that. But at this event, there was a boy, he was a teenager, he was just reading the Bible. He wasn't yelling at anybody, he wasn't in their faces. And the cops came and they arrested him. This is America? I thought this happened in Europe. And I'm like, Wisconsin? You know, it's, it's frightening, the erosion of, of rights. And, and you know, because we're the, we're, the, we're, the, we're, the, we're the pains. We're the sticks in the mud. You know, we, we oppose some of these things. We don't like it. Oh, those Christians, they're so annoying. Get rid of them. Verse 18, he says, not a hair on your head will be lost. And again, when this is, this is a little hard to interpret. Uh, I believe this is in line with when Jesus said, not a sparrow falls from the sky without your father noticing it. So you're intact, but if something happens, God knows. But Jesus also said, don't fear the one that can kill you, kill the body, and there's nothing else they could do. If you respect the one that can take the body and then take the soul, right, which is God. So the worst they could do to us is take our life, which we, we want to live, right? None of us have a death wish. But verse 19, let patience possess your souls. In other words, never give up. Make it to the finish line. That's where your reward is. Matthew 24, 12, it's along with this. It says, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And that's true. We see that today. See these videos of, uh, could be New York City, could be a train platform, 
woman's getting beat up or horrible things are happening and people just... Lawlessness is abounding in the United States. And a lot of people have shut off their heart. Well, I don't want that to be me. I'm just going to go this way. I'm going to get involved. Right? But it's happening in the world. Our leaders of this country and Europe and many, they're so obsessed with globalism that the average person can't pay their bills, man. They can't put food on the table. They can't pay. I, I got people that come to me sometimes in the church. They can't pay their electric bills. You know, we're feeding more families. Um, every time we do food for the soul, the number increased on Friday, how many families we fed. People are struggling. What are our leaders doing? They're spending trillions of dollars on what? On what? Globalism? So it's, it's, it's sad. It's becoming very cold. Let's just get down to the bottom line here. What is the point in all this? The point is your relationship with your Creator. That's the point. Through Adam's sin, death entered the world. And all the things that come with it, disease and suffering and stuff. Christ is telling us that the ship is sinking. may not always feel like it. We could be the frog in the boiling pot of water. Things are happening slowly, but they're starting to increase. What Christ is offering us is an alternative. He wants us to enjoy our lives. He wants us to enjoy our families. I don't want you to leave here today and be all depressed and say that it's my fault. You know what I'm saying? We're only in the first sermon. It just gets better after here, okay? But the point is that He wants us to live our lives. He wants us to love our families. He wants us to love others. He wants us to, when there's the coldness in our culture, to be the warmth to people. To, when there's the, the spiritual darkness, to be the light to people, to shine the light of Christ. Amen? So at the end of the day, what, what, you know, I, 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 didn't, I'm not, I can't finish this. We're pretty much out of time. But is that, is that he's going to usher in new things. Revelation 21. There'll be a time where there's no more death. That means no more cancer. No more sorrow. No more crying. No depression. No PTSD. Right? No more pain. No need for drugs and doctors and rehab facilities. It's all gone. He says, for the former things have passed away. It says that God will personally wipe away every tear from our eyes to touch us. That's a personal thing. He's a personal God. So would you join me this morning, if you don't know Christ, to uh, accept Him today as we, as we close. Receive Him as your Lord and Savior. He only has good things prepared for you. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.